When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to episode 118 of Back of the Net, the AFC Bournemouth podcast. My name's Sam Davis, the sun is shining, it's Monday, the temperatures are getting warmer, the nights are getting longer and the Cherries have posted a £60 million loss for the last financial year. Some jaw-dropping figures that were released this morning. Confirmation also that the owner is into the club to the tune of around £160 million. A concerning backdrop off the pitch to what has been a fruitless season on it. In this podcast, it's slightly different. We haven't talked about Saints yet, so we will, at the end of the show, going over that terrible FA Cup exit to our South Coast neighbours. But firstly, I'm joined by Jeff Hayward and Neil Dawson to talk all things finance. Whilst they are fairly similar to other Premier League club accounts last season, I'm sure that fans will have a number of questions with regards to the investment going forward, the extremely high percentage of wages versus turnover, that's a concern, and also the growing debt that our club seems to accrue. So we've tried to gauge the reaction on Twitter this morning and we'll discuss some of the key points of what we have learned. To do this with me, we have got Jeff Hayward. Jeff, how are you? Fine, thank you, Sam. Cracking interview with Danny Hollands last night. Really enjoyed it. You and Neil did a great job. Yeah, lovely bloke. Really good, really good fun. Excellent. And here is said Neil Dawson. Neil, how's it going? Yeah, very good, Sam. Very good. Cool, cool. So on this show, there's a chance to reflect also on the recent minutes that have been released after the board-to-board meeting between AFCB and the Cherries Trust with Many fans feeling that some of the answers that were provided were mm, less than satisfactory. So on this show, we're going to break down the responses, detangle the various sound bites, and work out where we go from here. So in short, with regards to the accounts this morning, these are the headlines that you need to be looking at. So AFC Bournemouth have registered a £60 million loss, nearly double of what it was in the last financial year. The impact of COVID, of course, cannot be underestimated, uh, worth up to £30 million with uh, deferred sales, the Premier League rebate to broadcasters and, of course, lost revenue as well. 
Of course, being 18th in the Premier League, that meant that in terms of prize money, we were nine million down on where we were last season. And our owner last season put in another £28 million more. So that brings the club debt to max over £150 million. We also owe £76 million more in uh, future payments on transfer instalments, but also we're going to have £18 million coming back our way. The cash flow position for 2021 financial year, though, it does look good, and we'll explain that throughout the show. So, yeah, on the surface, it makes pretty grim reading. Uh, and... There is a lot to discuss because on the surface, those figures are eye-watering. And if you look at the accounts on their own, Jeff, a lot of people go straight to the profit and loss. And without any context, that's £60 million for a club the size of AFC Bournemouth. It's, it's actually quite frightening, isn't it? Well, when you consider that for £4 million in debt, we had the administrators in, what, just over 10 years ago. Uh, and... It just goes to show what a massive difference it's making to us having Max as the owner. And the the solidity of Max is critical to the club in this period. I think we're also we're in, we're in a, a number of difficult positions. We're, we're half a Premier League team, but not getting the Premier League revenues. And we're playing in the Championship. So we're trying to obviously get back, but running the club as a Premier League club in the Championship is obviously makes makes no financial sense, really, and is unsustainable for a, a, a long period of time. Mm. Hence the need for the parachute payments, of course, to sort of soften the blow. But it's quite interesting because a lot of our transfer activity had to happen after the financial year due to the fact that it was this extended break due to COVID. And that means that, you know, some of the transfer monies that we received would have been on the last financial year, making it look less bad. But Neil, it's quite interesting because every transfer window, the fans constantly moan about us not signing someone. And any tweet that they put out, someone saying, you know, come on, sign someone, announce someone, and it never happens. But then those same people this morning from Twitter are also moaning about this substantial loss that we've made. I suppose you can understand the the difficult position that the board are in, in some ways. Yeah, yeah, I suppose you're damned if you do, damned if you don't. I think the... Um, I think the worrying thing for me when you look at the accounts is um, how many times, so it's, it's fine. So we can look at it and say there's 50 million odd, I think, coming in from the transfers of what will predominantly be Nathan Ake and Callum Wilson. Um, and if you can do that every year, um, as you know, some clubs like Brentford have, you know, have always traditionally done, then it's not really a problem. So I think... The, this, these accounts for me are less a story of last year's accounts um, because you have got to add in the player sales we've had since. But it's more a story of how sustainable is the business when you look at it. And I'm sure we'll come on to talk about it when you haven't got a Nathan Ake to sell every year. Yeah, absolutely. And we're going to take a look at what uh, some of the key points on the accounts. I mean, I think they're fairly self-explanatory on the first sort of one or two pages. But yeah, I mean, COVID, coronavirus, it's had a massive impact on the club, not just for Bournemouth, but also for most clubs. Nearly all of them registering similar trends in their accounts, apart from Norwich, by the way, who who did it differently by extending their financial year. So that's why if you make a comparison, you'll see that, you know, they've actually made a profit. So any player sales that they made could be absorbed into the last financial year. But to put it into context, 
Southampton, £75 million loss. Everton, 140. Brighton, 62. West Ham, 65. So why did COVID have an impact? Um, Well, of course, the break meant that the seven of the final matches happened after the financial year ended. Um, Those transfers that were made after the financial year end, as we've alluded to, I mean, it would usually be a window which is ordinarily open for six weeks prior to the financial year end. All that happened afterwards. And quite a big thing is that due to the Premier League uh, matches not being played before a specific date in a contract that they have with the broadcasters, it meant that Sky... BT and Amazon, they were all due a rebate from Premier League clubs, AFC Bournemouth's share of which was £7 million, which is quite a chunk. And of course, no fans, that has a huge impact as well. Uh, Wages, of course, remained paid. The club you turned on furlough with that, the players didn't take a cut, but uh, some senior members did, as we know, such as Eddie Howe, Jason Tindall and co. So, Jeff, A chunk of our loss, of course, is due to COVID. Um, But what that means is that £18 million or so that was registered after the financial year, that will be recognised in the next set of figures. But, you know, you look at it now and you think £150 million, the owners into the club, that, that is a lot of money, isn't it? It would make my eyes water if I was giving that much money away. I mean, not that not that I've got it, but <laughs> but you kind of you kind of think we know very little about Max. He's he keeps himself very private. We're not really sure how much he's worth. I mean, you you look at that money that he's into the club for, and you think he's got to be a lot wealthier than than some fans in the pre- in the past have, have suggested. And I think that's true. I think he's he's got deep pockets. Uh, more than that, it's about where does his patience run out? Where does his uh, passion stop? And the the sort of plaything that we are, you know, begin to make a difference to him. And he thought, thinks, you know, I've put so much money into this club that I'm going to walk away. We don't know. Right. We don't know him as a personality. We don't know him as a person. Um, we've heard things about him. Um we everybody's got an opinion i'm sure who deals with him and and what you can read in those uh cherries trust uh minutes that we'll come on and talk about in more detail later is that uh neil blake and richard hughes seem supremely confident that he's going to be around for a long time and he's invested deeply in the club yeah that i mean debt debt to a owner is either very worrying or not worrying at all but without knowing the owner you you can't make that you you know you, it's very really really hard to to actually lay down what it is. So uh, it's, um, we don't know what it's thinking, do we? No, that's right. And that's, and that's the one thing that kind of worries me somewhat because I gather he's got a very good relationship with the club and well, with the senior members at the club, but we don't know anything about that. And obviously it is, you know, one of these things that if some, for some reason the relationship does sour, then, you know, we could be up shit creek, but they're saying that the assets that they've got on the pitch basically take care of that debt. I'm not sure they do when you work out the value, but, you know, we'll talk about that. But Jeff, obviously not playing at in matches at Dean Court as a huge, huge effect. You know, yeah. what kind of losses, um, you know, does that mean for the club? Well, it's massive. I mean, 
match day revenues with no fans. So arguably we've got a small stadium. So the the revenues we're getting from the fans and a small fan base, you know, let's not kid ourselves. We're we're not we're not a super hugely well supported club. So so okay, it's still gonna make a difference not having uh, fans coming into game. Um what is the loss of that? It's probably quarter of a million per game, I think, approximately. Uh but then you've got to look at the other stuff. It's not just the tickets uh, that people are, are paying money for. It's the club shop activity. It's corporate hospitality. Um, it's commercial packages, sponsorships, events, all those things that would go on and contribute to running the club. And they're not there. Shop revenue must be down. I mean, um, I've spent a lot of time surfing the, the club shop in the in the period where we haven't been there. But it's not the same. And, and I'm sure fans going to games spend a lot of money in the shop. Do you think, yeah. Neil, this is um, probably something that the club are now looking at thinking, thank God we've got a small stadium? Well, I don't know. I mean, my worry is, is if I, I, I've read previously, so I think it's a quarter of a million, isn't it, for um, income purely on tickets. And then I think there's about another 100,000 on top. So there's about 350,000. So if you, if you times that by 25, 26 games, if you have a couple of cup games... At home, you're still only talking about seven or eight million quid, and that. So when you look at you know clubs like West Ham losing 50, 60 million, you know in terms of that they will generate um, a million plus per game, yeah. uh, and you know we we are a League One setup, so you know hence why we're generating less. But the problem that we've got is when you look at that cost balance side on on the P and L that came out today. Just adding back in a full season of gate receipts, that eight million that we'll get is just a drop in the ocean compared to the 170 million. Now I know that that 170 million won't be 170 million anymore. It was reflected the Premier League, but it, I mean, how much will that come down over the course of a season? It isn't going to come down by much more than 40 or 50 million. I wouldn't have thought, yeah. and that's the problem that we've got. We're at a crossroads. Yeah, absolutely, and this. This rebate to broadcasters, I think, you know, AFC Bournemouth paid a share, which was about seven million or so. But, you know, with all the other Premier League clubs combined, it was, you know, it must have been like over 100 million that, you know, they had. Um, in a day and age where there's lots of, um, you know, a bending over backwards for each other, lots of compassion and all that kind of stuff. But when it comes to contracts, Neil, like all that goes out the window and, you know, there there seems to be no leeway with that. And, you know, lo and behold, all that money was actually refunded by the various Premier League clubs. It sort of cuts deep a little bit, you know, in amongst this climate of coronavirus, doesn't it? It doesn't. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't. It doesn't, I guess, because the TV money is so obscenely huge that goes into football clubs that football clubs should still, you know, should still be able to budget with and you not spend every single penny of that of that TV money and i mean we should have been putting money aside for training grounds stadiums we shouldn't have been spending every single penny of it anyway and then you know obviously we would have just then not built the training ground and used the money from that to give back to the TV company so so yeah i'm sure could sky survive without it i'm sure they could but at the same time you can't really knock them for the amount of money they put into the game since the early 90s yeah no Absolutely. And Jeff, Premier League prize money, £9 million down on the previous season. It is quite a chunk when you think about it, isn't it? And in a, in a campaign where quite often our performances looked really abject, you sort of look at individual moments and individual performances and you actually then start to see it on paper. 
in terms of money, that hurts, doesn't it? I mean, do we have to go back there again, Sam? The pain of last season, it was... Uh, it. It was really painful to watch as a fan, and that's just you know we're, we're just football fans looking at it from an enjoying the game perspective. But actually, every point, every position in the league has a financial implication, yeah. and um, you know I'm not I'm not saying that the the coaching staff and the players aren't aware of that. I'm sure they are, but but um, what gets a team to care about it and to to really play like they're their lives depend on it. Well, we did see enough of that last season and, and that's partly why we're in the position we're in now. Um, it is what it is. We, we're, as I said at the start, we're in a, we're in this hybrid position, as Neil said, it's a crossroads, you know, where, where we are now is critical because it's about the next couple of years and the decisions that we're taking, the decisions the club is taking matter they matter enormously and the performances of the players they matter enormously because arguably we have the strongest squad in the division this year and they've underperformed um we're going to be in the playoffs if we play one these last few games but if we don't we've we've got another league another season of the championship ahead of us we might even have that if we get in the playoffs we know who's who's to say we're going to win the playoffs we're going to be probably fifth or sixth which puts us at a disadvantage straight away so the playing performances matter this season, but next season, even more important, if we don't make it this season, boy, the, the guys have got to deliver. And who's to say that the three clubs coming down? What if what if Newcastle are one of those clubs coming down and make the division stronger? What if Brighton are one of those clubs coming down and make the division stronger? You know, it's if it, if it's if it's Fulham, West Brom, uh, Fulham, West Brom, and Sheffield United, I think we'll we'll have a decent chance but if a super big club is part of that it's not going to be fun no it's not and on screen just now you saw uh what you can see on uh, company's house so that's the full financial report it, you know what it's very confusing and um we're trying to sort of muddle our way through it as best we possibly can now here's something that is not nice to look at and it is the Premier League table from last season with AFC Bournemouth a point behind Aston Villa. Look at that. Now, Neil, we was just looking back with the help of uh, Rob on Twitter. We've come to the conclusions that a single goal in yeah. one of AFC Bournemouth's 18 matches, so i.e. where a swing of one goal would have changed the outcome and made it a draw, that would have kept us up. F fine margins, eh? Yeah, well, also a single goal in a game we didn't play, um, which was the Sheffield United um, Aston Villa game with the goal line technology turned off. I mean, that I know that you can't extrapolate the rest of the season from that, but if you take that as an isolated incident and the rest of the season had stayed the same, then that someone who forgot to turn that on cost a club at the minimum of 110 million quid. Um, so, uh, but yeah. But listen, I think you can always look back at any season, can't you? Because you can look at Josh King not getting his head on that far post cross at Newcastle and you, yeah. all, all sorts of moments like that you can look back at. But you, you've also got to remember the ones that went for you. And I think, you know, that was a, it was a fair reflect. It was in our hands. It was a fair reflection of the season. We never turned up after the uh, 
debacle, you know, after COVID was just a debacle for most of those games. And um, and to to Jeff's point, I actually disagree with Jeff because I think it does it doesn't really matter who came down because Norwich were really poor last year. They they came down bottom and they and they've romped the league this year. So I think whoever comes down, you know, potentially could be good because I don't think anyone thought Norwich. Um, you know, after the way they played in the Premier League last year, would finish ahead of us and Watford um, this year. But they've they'll clearly finish ahead of us and, and probably Watford as well. So, uh, but no, I don't. I, I don't think you can look at individual moments. I just think it is it is what it is, and it, we we finish where we deserve. I think my point is Neil that there are going to be clubs that Sheffield United are in turmoil. They've got rebuilding ahead of them. That's pretty clear. Yeah. Uh, West Brom. Ditto, I think, you know, Allardyce, whether he'll be there or not, if, when they go down, I think it's another matter. And they've got a rebuild header then. It's that third spot. If it's Fulham, they're a size of club that's similar to us. So we're competing on a level playing field. If it's Newcastle and they get bought by some, you know, Shake, for example, which is yeah. potential. It's been talked about for years. Even with Ashley in charge, you know, he could he could go and hire Benitez again. And, and you know, yeah. they'd have 60,000 filling that ground and they'd have a, a sort of scale that is difficult to compete with whoever you are in the championship. That's all. Yeah, fair enough. Mm. So going forward then, obviously we all hope that uh, we're going to get promoted this season, but the club will have two sets of forecasts and, you know, we'll have to go with whichever one, depending on which division we're in. Now, if we stay in the championship, of course, we'll have players that are surely going to go. Some might be retained and players do have relegation clauses in their contracts. I mean, some, you know, rumoured to be up to around 50%. But even still, Neil, it's going to be difficult because you're going to be trying to attract players to play for relative peanuts compared to their, you know, their colleagues that would have been former Premier League stars that will be on a lot more money than them. Yeah, because the pure maths of the situation is we had a 170 million quid cost base last year and 120 million income that's where the 50 million loss comes from that income this year without player sales will be 50 50 odd million with the, which is the parachute payments because there's no match income um so there's a gap there of 120 million quid now we'll mask 50 million of that gap with the ake wilson etc money a, a little bit more so we've already got a 70 million loss even you know when you take that into consideration so and then moving forward into the following year the tv money drops by another 15 million i think to about 35 40 mm. so we will be and i think we've already seen it this year because who did we sign in the summer cameron carton because on loan uh rocco Raquelmio, i don't think it's a higher and we didn't we haven't splashed any money out then we went into what three hundred fifty thousand on ben pearson um and you know this is going to be the way that we move forward. So let's hope we've got a really good scouting network that are looking at those kind of players because nothing wrong with, we're all happy with him, aren't we? And uh, and I think it shows why we didn't go and bid 5 million quid for an Ivan Tony or, or a player like that, probably because we knew these accounts probably now reveal all on stuff like that. We didn't have the 5 million quid to go and bid for an Ivan Tony. Um, so yeah, I think we know that the, the, the pond that we're going to be fishing from um, for the next couple of years is going to be talented League One um, young young players or talented bottom half of the Championship. Yeah, and there's and there's nothing wrong in that, Neil. Nope. You know, I think that's that's part of uh, part of the DNA that got us promoted in the first place. Having Agreed. players Agreed. players with points to prove. Um, 
the transition is going to be tricky to manage. I totally agree. Uh, you look at the current squad and you think um, Dan Juma, Brooks, Lerma, probably looking elsewhere at the moment, or at least their agents probably looking elsewhere if things don't go right in, in the playoffs this season. And um, arguably, they will get picked up in the summer. One one thing that's been in our favour, funnily enough, has been, been COVID because clubs haven't behaved as normally as they do in the transfer windows. Um, you could say that's gone for us in that a lot of players like Brooks haven't been picked up or bids haven't come in for them because I think clubs have been a bit more conservative about their spending at the, the current time. Um, it worked against us in that I think we should have got shot of Josh King in the summer to West Ham when we had the chance and we lost 10 million quid at least on that, I think. Yeah, so as we spoke about Max's involvement with the club, he's over 150 million into the club. And looking through the accounts, you look down and you see various repayment dates. But my understanding is because of the you know, positive relationship they have, it's just a case you have to put down dates in some kind of loan agreement. Therefore, they don't actually have to be repaid. It's just a case of, you know, they'll write another one at the time, you know, to extend it. So it it's not necessarily a concern when you see that. Um, but I've got to say, though, yeah, you know, harping back to what we were talking about, when one guy is responsible for you know, pretty much the club as a whole, and we're talking about this, you know, the value of assets that we've got on the pitch not necessarily tessellating with £150 million. In a way, it's kind of like when I design a website for someone, I mean, you know, that's my trade, you know, that's what I do. And like, they've got me as a single point of contact. And I'll say, okay, it will get done by this date. All they've got is me. They've got no one else that they can ask. It's just, you know, like I'm the person who is sort of responsible. And that's why I think fans may feel a little bit uncomfortable because all we can do, Jeff, is just take the board's word for it. That, you know, that, it's a positive relationship. All is okay. Max isn't going to go anywhere, and that's and that's where we have problems because Max is a very private person. Like he doesn't speak publicly, so that's why we worry. Football is a curious business product. You know, different different to a lot of in industries, a lot of fields. We've got um, we as customers place a huge amount of trust in the board to get it right. And the players who are ultimately delivering part of that product, probably the biggest, most important part of that product that they make, um, that they they actually deliver a good quality product that that succeeds. And everything is variable. You know, it's 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 unpredictable. Uh, it's prone to. I mean, we all have huge opinions of negativity after we put in a crap performance like we did against Barnsley in that second half, but. Two days later, we completely changed our mind again because they turn up at Swansea and win 3-0 and it's com complete opposite. Tell me another business where it works like that, where two days later you're completely, you know, flying flying high, whereas the two 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 days previously it was the, the quality was, you know, you'd have, you'd have thought, I'm walking away, I'm never going to support this team again or be a customer again. It's <laughs> bizarre. The whole thing is flipping bizarre. And yet... Fundamentally, as customers, we've got a loyalty that the club rely on to support them and keep coming back for more, for more, for more, in spite of the variability of the product. Where the trust at the moment is really important is we have to trust that the owner is going to stick with it and continue to put his money in to bankroll the club through these difficult times until we get back to the Premier League or what. 
I'm not I'm not sure what the plan B is if we don't get back in a couple of seasons. That's that's something to be concerned about. And underneath him, we have to have utter confidence in the management of at the club that they will do the right thing. And we're taking it all on trust. You know, it, they're, they're not like politicians. We can't vote them out. No. And we are over it. We are over invested in it as well because we're because football is not a totally. product. We're, it's a drug, isn't it? And and Max, <laughs> and Max is our dealer, and we don't know if he uh, if he's, he's going to go to prison. We're, we're without we're without our drug. You know, that's that's basically what it is. If if you know, we we all looking at the debt. We're all worrying about it. If you know, if you shop at ASDA and ASDA go into massive debt, you, you don't worry about it because if they go pop, you just go shop at Sainsbury's. Isn't it? So it's none of us work for the club, but we're over invested in it. That's the you know that's why these sort of things worry us so much. Well, perhaps we can just take Eddie Mitchell's advice and just go and support that team up the road, uh, Neil. That's what we can do, eh? <laughs> no one will ever want to. Yeah, yeah. More chance of supporting Weymouth, I think. Than- yeah. <laughs> so um, you know, yeah. let's 150 million pounds. I mean, we're all thankful to Max. That's got us to where we are our squad value at the moment neil do you think it's anywhere near that i mean i i I find it quite difficult to you kind of add it all together and think it comes anywhere near to that um and it's quite worrying to place all your uh, i wouldn't say trust but you know all your value of kind of what you've got based on you know these assets that could play one day and then snap their acl the next and be out for six seven months or whatever yeah, it, well, it is. And then also you've got the fact that as the team's performance drops, so the value of the players on it mm. drop. It's just like a very, very large game of football manager. So you look at, uh, you know, what is... Uh, David Brooks was a player who was being spoken about as a £40 million player um, a year and a half ago. Uh, I think you would be lucky to get 12 or £13 million from him on, you know, on, on current form. That's not his fault. He's, he's suffered with injuries and he's playing in a team that's not got much form. And when he comes into it, he, he you know, he hasn't looked as good as he has previously. Um, so, you know, Solanke isn't worth the 20 million quid that we bought for him as an 11 a goal, goal a season target man that tries hard. Um, so, yeah, so if you start looking through the squad, I think signing um, Philip Billing is like uh, inviting Miss Marple around for dinner, isn't it, in terms of the outcome is never good um, so, uh, for any club. So it's, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I would struggle to say the value, the true value of the squad in COVID times is anywhere near 150 million quid. It'd be a long way off that. To add to that, I think the players in the championship have less of a value than if they were in the Premier League. If, yeah. if you're a championship player, Premier League club ain't going to pay the same salary they would for, a, for a, a player from another Premier League club. And, and that's just a fact. And, and, I, and I think it's, it's part of that curious situation we're in where we're a part Premier League club in the championship. That It's not just the players who are on huge salaries. You know, the, I'm sure a lot of the staff and the management are on Premier League salaries but here we are in the championship. And I think you can look at that. You can see that in the accounts, you know, the wage bill ain't just about the players. It's about the huge amount of staff that we've got. You know, we, we've got the setup of a Premier League club still. But where are we? How long is that sustainable? Yeah, it said something like 620 staff members or something. It's like, wow, really? I mean, that's that sounds a lot. But yeah, um, so there we are. I mean, that's where we're at in terms of parachute payments. People have been asking um, how much we get. I think it's 46 million for the first year, after the next season, it goes down to 30-odd and then 16 million 
for the third year. So obviously wages need to come down with that. I mean, wages versus turnover, I think it's like 112%. So obviously that all need to change. And people have also been asking about FFP on Twitter as well. Uh, it's not an issue for the next two seasons. I think Premier, well, Premier League status, previous Premier League status is taken into account. But for two years, we've got almost um, a, pre, a sort of period of grace, so to speak. And what the situation with COVID means that our player sales happening after the end of the last financial year means for next year, our profit and loss will actually look pretty good. Um, so it'll be interesting to see where we're at. And hopefully Max should be putting no more money into the club. I mean, if it was being well run, that should be the case. But we'll have to see. So the bottom line is, yeah, there's concern, but it's not as bad as the headlines suggest. I mean, yeah, you're looking at it, £60 million loss, probably half that due to COVID. Even still, it's pretty bad. But you look at the assets that we've got out there, he can claw some of it back. Um, who knows? I mean, the club's fairly stable because of the assets that we've got on the pitch. But, you know, it was a rough trading period. And, um, you know, we are what we're seeing here is the perfect storm of relegation um, added to COVID as well. Max, in terms of the future, he certainly needs to keep the business running and going in order to protect his assets. So I think we can breathe a sigh of relief with regards to that. But obviously, yeah, promotion is going to be huge for us this season and um, might help to make a drip or two of sweat uh, be taken away from the foreheads of senior figures at the club. Right, from that, we'll talk about the minutes from the board-to-board meeting last week between the Cherries Trust and the AFC Bournemouth board. Jeff, did you manage to take a look? Yep, took a look. Um, There was a lot of uh, dead batting, uh, some of those questions. Um, I think looking at the accounts, we've actually had more insight into what's going on than than I think they got through some of their questions and, and some of the answers they received. Uh, yeah, that could uh, that could well be said. I mean, some of the answers that I've been reading, I mean, uh, some people have said elite question dodging. Um, that is something that is a theme that you can sort of see throughout some of the questions. So the, like, these are the type of topics that we talked about. The training ground. Neil Blake said that uh, the training centre project is still on hold and that there's no timescale in place for contractors to move back onto the site. The current situation with uh, COVID it continues to be a big driving factor in this. He also reiterated the club's plans to build a training centre and have a category two academy, stating that uh, this is a way of sustaining a future. Also spoke about the stadium. Neil Blake explained that the lease on the Vitality Stadium expires in 2030 and that the club remains in in constant dialogue and has a good relationship with Structor Dean. There are also discussions on the disabled facilities at the club as well. Um, Almost criticism via the questions, but it seemed to be responded with a way of, well, actually, we're the best. And it quoted various um, surveys that were done across the Premier League. So is that a sufficient answer? I'm sure some people will think not. Other people might think it is. Now, Woodgate's appointment. Got Mm. to say, this, this one was really interesting. Did you see it? I mean, did you read that bit, Neil? Yes. I mean, the whole thing to me looked like classic deflection from the fact that they messed up the whole procedure. I mean, one of the things we didn't talk about on the accounts as well is it it, it looks there's a name director that got paid that's getting got paid 1.4 million 
pounds last year. So, which is a you know, which is an extraordinary amount of cash. To put it in perspective, I think Sainsbury's uh, chief executive um, basic salaries just short of 900,000. So and they've got a 28 billion turnover. So um, in terms of the caliber of what we're getting for our money, I've never been uh, over convinced that we're getting anywhere near the caliber we should get for that level of money. And I think when you when you look at the whole botched um, Jonathan Woodgate appointment, um, we covered it on here before. Um, yes, he makes the point that the team didn't suffer during the transition and they, uh, they only lost one game. And I guess that's I guess that's true, but football's a game that's played on, you know, a longer period than that and momentum. And, and you know, the bottom line is they keep saying that they looked at it and Jonathan Woodgate was the best man for the job. And if that is the case and we believe that, then you give him a two or three year contract. So the players know where they stand. So quite clearly, the two things have never added up. Either Jonathan Woodgate is the best man for the job, in which case you give him a two year contract and the players then know who they're playing for for the next two years, or he isn't the best man for the job. And you should have just given it him as a caretaker at the end of the season and say you were going to look for someone else. Because in reality, that's what he is. He's caretaking this to the end of the season. Jeff? Yeah, I mean, we look back on that time where we lost four defeats, uh, four defeats in a row under Jason Tindall, and it looked like the wheels were not only coming off, but they were coming off very rapidly indeed and something needed to be done um i wasn't against tyndall's departure at the time because i felt it was it was getting to a critical point where we needed to stop that slide and he didn't seem to be uh up to the challenge he looked like a rabbit lost in the headlights when the pressure was was building on him now that we've got uh woodgate what the what the club seem to have done is uh redrawn what actually happened to the, to suit a version of events that we just we just can see through it you know you can see you can see what happened woodgate came in as a as an actual replacement um for the coach he went to at newcastle who can't can't remember his name now gosh the man who introduced five at the back to us anyway whatever you know and, he's done really well at newcastle though to be fair with yeah. Graham Jones, yeah. Graham Jones, that's right. So we've we we got Woodgate in as a, a head coach to replace him, but actually then to give him the manager's job and say that he's the best candidate for it when all they were doing was observing him on the training pitch and just seeing what was going on. I mean, it it is it's not it's not the truth. Sorry, but it ain't. Um, it's, you know what? It it sounds like something that the dodgy member of parliament off Little Britain would have said while standing next to his beleaguered wife, yeah. who's just who's <laughs> who's just stood there smiling, and he's yeah. he's providing all these explanations of you know whatever he did. But this whole thing that you know, like they interviewed all these world class candidates, and then they were indirectly interviewing him. He didn't realise it. It sounded all a bit. Yeah, no, I mean, it's just the whole the whole thing is is nonsense. It's 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 ridicule. They they clearly uh, thought they had someone else, or they were or they were going for someone else. It fell through, and then I think they probably took the right decision, which is, oh God, do we want to start another three week recruitment period? Um, but, you know, so I think the decision was right that they took once they'd failed to get who they wanted to get. But just come out and just come out and you know don't 
don't try and baffle us with the fact that Jonathan Woodgate was the person that you were looking for. It's just PR spin. And like I say, they'd have given him a two-year contract if that was the case. Yeah, I think people are, you know, people have made mistakes. And I think sometimes, uh, you know, in my opinion, I think it's, you know, it's quite nice to hold your hands up to that. But then when you do that, sometimes people think like your job should be you've gone as a result of it. So that's why people don't ever hold their hands up. Hence these like round the houses explanations. Yeah, part part of their explanation you can agree with, you know, that it would have been incredibly disruptive to bring in a new coach and uh, uh, all that, all the, all his own people and kick out all the, the coaches we've currently got and totally redesign how the team functions and I, I completely get that but just just be a bit more honest with us and I think we'd all feel a lot better about the people running the club and also we've made the same mistake twice and that's a bit with someone's being paid the money that they're that you know that he, he's being paid you shouldn't make a basic mistake twice so clearly I think we could all see that if you weren't to keep Eddie and that was mistake number one. They had a week to keep Eddie in the building when he went into that negotiation wanting to stay. They couldn't do that. Then there was absolutely no point in appointing the lesser half of that management duo that had gone through the sort of the relegation and the staleness. That was the time to have gone and got someone and, and took the club in a new direction. They didn't do that. But they appointed someone that had no managerial experience when this is the most important year probably, you know, to get right. And as the accounts we've just demonstrated, they've then repeated that with a guy who won what eight games for a championship club and lost his lost his job the time before. So they've made the same mistake twice. And that's when you just think inexcusable. Neil Blake also asked for the Cherries Trust to remember the journey of the football, uh, football club and that everyone associated is very fortunate to have an owner who's invested such a substantial amount of money to bring in success over the years. He continued that if the club finishes outside of the playoff places this season, he will be very disappointed, but argued that it would still likely be the seventh highest finish in the club's history. So that's all right then, Neil. Well, seventh highest finish with the club's probably second best squad ever. So it, relative to the resources, the amount of money that's been put in, the playing squad that took the pitch that were as good as Norwich's, as we know, because we beat them fairly comfortably and on paper we've got a squad as good as theirs. Um, it's, 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 you know, it's just simply not good enough. But that's, that's classic PR and that's papering over the cracks. Now, he's right. We wouldn't be, be where we are without Max, but then Max wouldn't have been with, where he was without Eddie. So I'd see later on they were taking the credit for the player sales that they brought in. Um, I don't think for, you know, we, we, we've discussed the players and how they were found and they came to play for Eddie Al. That's the, you know, the end of the day. And he's, he found and signed most of them. Um, so I don't, I don't buy it at all. Yeah. I mean, it's uh, again, I prefer to hear a response. Uh, that is something along the lines of, look, we're disappointed at how this season is going. We're doing a lot of work behind the scenes to get the club right, to get the players right, to be back in the Premier League. That's what we're aiming for. But we are disappointed with how things are going this season. Don't try and sugarcoat it by saying that it's actually it's a really good level of finish. It's, and that we should be grateful. We're not. We're not. We can see we're not stupid. I'm sorry. Mm. Yeah. Absolutely. So I think also they pointed to the club's financial stability as well and said 
words to the extent that Max Denham will do everything that he can to continue its success. And towards the end of the accounts as well, it alludes to that as well, saying that, um, yeah, he's in it for the long run, apparently. Uh, and don't get me wrong, you know, we're all grateful. We're all grateful for Max. You know, we've been on an amazing journey and we've been spoiled, rotten, particularly if you're, you know, the age of Neil and me, where you you know, you, you've been through several administrations, several points deductions. You've seen, you know, buckets full, filled with money at the Winter Gardens, all that sort of stuff. You know, y- you know how different it's been these last five years. And that is down to the investment and the stability that Max has brought to the club. And we are rare and privileged to have that because you can get some millionaire owners who are complete nutcases out yeah. there as well. So... We're, we're grateful for that. We want it to continue. We just would appreciate uh, a degree of honesty, a little bit more transparency, and the two-way relationship that, that fans should have with their club. You know, you've got to be, you've got to, you've got to talk to us like we're grown-ups, not like we're not. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this video by any means is is not a two-footed challenge on anyone at the club whatsoever. We certainly appreciate that you do put in a lot of work, but all we want as football fans is the highest calibre of personnel at every level, from the players to the manager, right up through to the director of football and beyond that as well. And judging by um, some of the comments that were released to the Cherries Trust in that meeting. I don't know, it it came across a little bit questionable. However, we don't doubt that you all want, you know, the best for this football club and hopefully it can all be realized on the pitch because you know, you know that's where everything happens and we need to put in a shift for these um last few games and if we got to the Premier League Jeff it would be um it would feel like sort of daylight robbery in many ways. Yeah, I think one of the one of the dangers that we faced um, on the pitch this season is that players who've tasted what the, the 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 promised land of playing in the Premier League is all about suddenly playing in the Championship. You know, they haven't got the same appetite or hunger or or uh, passion for it. And I wonder whether that's a similar thing for the management. You know, whether whether they've all enjoyed being part of that Premier League bandwagon. You know, ridden the glory and Maybe I'd, I'd hate to say it, you know, again, don't want to be critical, don't know enough, but is there complacency? Is there a little bit of of um, arrogance? We need to see the hard work continue from everybody. You know, we we expect that. That's the only way you're going to get back to where you were. Yeah. Mm. Everyone's got paid too much. The desire isn't there. It's really hard to find the desire when you don't have to... You don't have to fight for it or you're not, you know, everyone's got a wage that more than comfortably sets them up for life. Um, and you can see that when you you see, you know, clubs like Barnsley, um, uh, where they're on the journey that we were on seven years ago with the likes of Mark Pugh and Simon Francis and players that were just desperate to have one shot at the big time and owners and, um, you know, everyone throughout the club that really wanted the personal and financial success that came with it. And it's, it's blatantly missing at all levels at the moment. But we trust you to deliver, so flipping deliver it.
Superb to, to have Jeff and Neil talking about everything to do with the latest set of accounts and also alluding to the questionable responses from the board after their board-to-board meeting with the Cherries Trust earlier last week. So we need to talk football then. And Bournemouth, well, we're out of the FA Cup. We could have had a semi-final, but we went out with a whimper against Southampton. Jeff Hayward, how are you? Trying to stay positive. Good to hear. Tom Jordan's here as well. Tom, you're right. Trying to stay positive. And also, Mr. Tiggs, how you doing? I'm just trying to bring myself down a little bit, just to. <laughs> <laughs> Not great. Oh, eh? So, Jeff, hit me with it. How are you feeling? Uh, really deflated after yesterday. They were there for the taking. We were mediocre. They deserved the win. 3-0 was flattering to us. We were so poor after that first goal. In fact, after the after first goal, we we were just absent. You were you were right to say it, and that um, was it was very disappointing. Yeah, Tom. Yeah, no, I agree. I think the um, the key thing that was disappointing was this is the Southampton team on a really bad run. You know, it, if, if you go and lose to a Premier League opposition and you're not quite on it and they're brilliant, you go, all right, it is what it is. But they've only beat Sheffield United in their last seven. They're, they've fallen off a cliff. And their best player want there and Danny Ings. And I'm not sure, I haven't looked at it properly, but really we had just as much quality in terms of transfer fees and wages on the pitch as they did. So I'm not having this kind of, you know what I mean, there's this big golf. And we started okay, but we just, the lack of confidence was there straight away as soon as we conceded and... Really disappointing because, like Jeff said, I, I think they were there for the taking. I think if we had got the first goal or something, you know, they're they're not exactly on form at the moment, but we just didn't take advantage. Really disappointing. The first few minutes were OK, Tiggs, weren't they? The first three or four minutes. But then they scored a goal that was disallowed, thankfully, due to VAR. And I, I've got to admit, I completely forgot that he was in existence until it got called up. Yeah, and if it wasn't for VAR, that scoreline probably would have been a lot worse because... Once we went a goal down a little bit later on, we didn't really pick ourselves up from that. There was still hope, wasn't there, going into the second half that maybe, you know, after a half-time talk, we could turn it around and, and bring something to the table. But, um, yeah, same as the other boys, quite deflated, really, on how that went. It's a shame we couldn't show, show just a few more flashes, even, of brilliance. So much of this team depends on the right attitude, we didn't have the right attitude yesterday. And I think that stems a little bit from the top. Um, listening to uh, Woodgate and Steve Cook talking afterwards, um, their focus is on the league and it is not on the FA Cup. And I think that showed pretty clearly yesterday. We didn't play with the belief that we really wanted it. We didn't didn't do that from the start. And we did against Swansea, but wasn't there yesterday. I think not having fans there was a really big factor, actually. If we'd have been in the stadium, they wouldn't have been allowed to get away with that. Yeah, very true. Very true. But there were so many individual mistakes yesterday, Tom, weren't there? And we seemed to gift it to them on many an occasion. The result, 3-0. At first, I thought 2-0 at half-time flatters them. But at the end, 3-0 probably flattered us. Yeah, it did. Like we said about VAR, if that one there, then yeah, it definitely would have been more. And they took their foot off the pedal as well, I think. You know, once they got, especially in the third, they just kind of knocked the ball around. They could have, they brought a few youngsters on. They could have um, gone for more if they needed to. But 
Yeah, I agree with what um, Jeff said. I don't think the, the mindset was right. I think it, as soon as they scored the first goal, it looked like the players went, we ain't going to win this. As soon as they could see the goal, right, that's it. And, and just let's, let's just, like we've said so many times, just go for the motions till the end. But um, yeah, in hindsight, if we had nicked the first goal with one of them half chances, maybe it would have been different and we would have had something to hold on to and a bit of belief would have come into the team. But I think this has happened all season. We can see that goal. We feel, oh, things are going against us and they just don't can't seem to pick themselves up. We looked, don't we, in the past about, you know, through stats and stuff, how that it all drops off after we go behind and, and things like that. And it that's got to be a mentality thing. And um, it's a real shame, but listen, we didn't drop any points. And weirdly, the uh, fixtures and the results and that in the league actually went quite well for us. Probably the, the best weekend of results. And that was probably because we weren't playing. <laughs> Yeah, Neil Dawson says he still hates VAR. He would have rather <laughs> lost 5-0 no, if it actually exists, didn't I? Yeah. Think, I think we're all in agreement with that. So, uh, Gineppo opened the scoring tigs and it was a trademark AFC Bournemouth goal in many ways because we've scored a few like that where the ball is played between the right-back and the centre-back and lovely slide rule finish. Seen Dan Juma do that many a time. Uh, 1-0, I thought, yeah, Tom was right. We didn't really respond and react what I would have wanted to see was that first five minutes straight after we scored, but we didn't. We sat back and then individual errors came into play. And just before the end of the first half, Rico, for some reason, decided to push very central, exposed a massive area where Nathan Redmond could just run into. He drew Begovic forward and then a lovely little dink finish. And at 2-0 at halftime, you're thinking it's probably game over. Yeah, I, I don't really know what's going on with... Rico, his, his, his form is dropping. Every game he plays, he seems to be making these mistakes. There's an argument, isn't there, about having um, you know, the player in front of him, Dan Juma, and whether that leaves him exposed. But I, now I don't think that's the case at all. I think he's... Um, it feels to me the longer he plays for us, the worse he gets. I mean, I, you don't say that about many players, do you? No. Tiggs, tell me about this observation on Match of the Day, because I didn't see it last night. When yeah. Bournemouth lose, I refuse to watch it. But they <laughs> focused in on the huddle. Was that right? Yeah, they were talking about how um, our players really didn't look like they were up for the game. And they actually went back to the beginning of the game when the players were huddled. And it wasn't really a huddle. It was more like a game of like Ring a Ring of the Roses. They're all stood in a circle, staring kind of blankly at each other like this. Uh, not talking. <laughs> nobody was up for the game. It was a really odd thing to, to focus in on. But does kind of speak volumes about what we've seen over the course of this season already that kind of lackluster I don't know are they a group of players that connect with each other it didn't look like it well they did actually have a huddle as uh, we can see on screen so they actually did do that but they were focused on the bit before the huddle but you're mm. right there was no eye contact there didn't seem to be any positive messages going out between the players in, but in a day and age where players walk off coaches with headphones on and don't talk to each other maybe that's just the dumb thing I hate the way that football is going but that's the way it is it's so unpersonal these days but yeah second half came along Jeff we didn't come out fighting did we Jack Wilshere had uh, one effort that uh, was close and you thought, oh, we're still in this, but that was pretty much as good as it got and that was, what, two minutes into the second half. So, yeah, pretty poor. Uh, I thought it was a mistake to take Pearson off and ask Billing to play defensive midfield because he can't do that as the sole defensive midfielder. Uh if you're going to bring storage, if you're going to bring storage on, rather you've got to bring him on for for billing. You can't you can't 
you can't bring on for someone like Pearson and expect Billing to cover because he's not that sort of player. And against a team like Southampton, I mean, that high press that they play, it, when they play him with belief, it's very good. It's very good. And I felt sorry for uh, I felt sorry for the team because we started looking lost and uh, we bring on Surridge. It's crying out for a long ball game. And what do we start doing? Passing it around the back four and shoot ourselves in the foot yet again. I mean, uh, I, I'm just fed up of talking about all the mistakes that we've made doing that this season. Lost count. Must be double figures. Don't know if anybody knows out there. Must be. Yeah, it must be. And we deservedly went 3-0 down, didn't we? It was um, a really nice finish after the ball hit the post. And uh, 3-0 final score. Tom, you're wondering which players emerged with any credit yesterday and we're clutching at straws to mention many, aren't we? Yeah, it's tough. I mean, as usual, Begovic couldn't really do anything about the goals and and made a few decent saves. Um, I actually think Dom led the line okay. I feel sorry for him sometimes. I know he's he's probably his final bit. and not, you know, finishing any chances he's sent forward at the end of the day. But I thought he tried to bring people into play and like, you notice how isolated he is sometimes. So I wasn't too, you know, I didn't think he was too bad. Um, it was, I, I thought the fullbacks were horrific. I mean, we've said that about Rico a few times. I thought Jack Stacey just had one. You know, he's, he's normally pretty consistent. Um, he played well against Swansea, actually, but he, he was all over the place. And like you said there, when it gets to the end of the game, you know, you're 2-0 you're down, we ain't going to come back. And then Stacey plays that blind pass and you think, just be a bit more direct, you know, use your head, stop trying to knock it about when we're 2-0 we're down to a Premier League side. It was um, crazy, really. But yeah, um, and people like Dan Juma, I remember his kind of interview thing before. And I was hearing something about him saying he wants to be in the Champions League again and never thought he'd see himself in the Championship and all this. And I think, but... Show it then, because this is your opportunity. You know, you're on, you're on the TV. You want to get to an FA Cup semi-final. You're playing against a Premier League side. Show us that you're a Champions League player then. Couldn't do anything. Um, so, yeah, they just want enough was there. There was, there was a few that done OK. But um, as always, it's just um, the few that did do OK. It was just an individual little spurts. There was no team relationships or, or anything, really. And um, it was a shame, but said it before, I think it will probably just be like that. I think we'll have a few good games, a few rubbish games, and let's just see if that takes into the top six or not. And like I said, just to close it off, Tegs, on this particular game before we move on, it was like the destination for the next match was Kenilworth Road rather than Wembley. And actually, that is dissing Kenilworth Road. I think that's a lovely little ground. And Wembley is, <laughs> is, is horrible and soulless, but you wouldn't have thought that there was an incentive in the next round, would you? Because the players just didn't seem to show any fight and aggression. And we seem to be harking back to these conversations week in, week out, stuck record. Maybe there wasn't an incentive, Sam. Maybe you've knocked the, the nail right on the head there. For those players, you know, maybe they didn't they don't want to play in a in a semi-final. Maybe they just don't. You know, you just mm. nobody out there was was trying to pull the team along to, to show us anything else. So Maybe they've just been told this, you know, half time boys were 2 0 down. Don't don't embarrass yourself. That's it, you know. We're so downbeat, aren't we? We need to really get <laughs> upbeat. Are, yeah. Okay, let's let's have a positive. But Jeff, it was nice to see some youth being fielded yesterday. So for the first time in a long time, Jaden Anthony, Gavin Kilkenny, nice to see those types of players actually get some minutes for AC Bournemouth. Yeah, it was. And um I thought um I thought it was good that they got some game time. If I was if I was one player who I would be absolutely distraught of the way I've been treated this season, it's Sam, because he deserves to have had more game time than he's had. And actually, yesterday, 
I mean, he shows it with that yellow card. You know, he's absolutely frustrated as hell when he barges, <laughs> barges the uh, Saints sub off the pitch at the end. And, and you know, you could start with somebody like him instead of Solanke for a change. Just just freshen it up for the, the team. And and I thought Raquel May did pretty well, actually, considering. You know, he did OK. Mm. Um, they're, they're a frustrating bunch. It's nice. It is nice to see some youth being blooded. That was one thing that JT did a bit more than um, Woodgate's doing, because I think Woodgate's less familiar with the players. He admitted as such when Rick Elmey came on the other night and actually played really well. It's the first time he's really seen him. So we have got some talented youngsters. I think if we are going to miss out on the playoffs this season, whoever comes in, can they please give them a bloody chance yeah, I think Woodgate does deserve credit for that quickly, Sam, um, in the sense that it would have been easy for him to, you know, we had no status last. It would have been easy for him to go, I'll just play Mepham and go to a back five. Um, but he went, you know what, Roro, that's the first time I saw you. You've done all right when you come on. Here's a chance. And, you know, he deserves a bit of credit for that, I think. It would have been easy to go safe and bring in someone experienced. But, um, yeah, I agree with what Jeff said. Sam's got to play more. I think when things aren't going well and you're not performing and you're on a bad run, you play players you can trust will work hard. I remember in the Premier League sometimes we'd have all these fancy players, but if we're in a bit of a rut, Eddie would go, Daniel's pew down that left-hand side. You know, let's, let's at least let's do the basics right. I know what I'm going to get. Um, and I think, you know, Sam Sarr isn't the best technical player we've got at the football club, but you know what you're going to get. And I just, I am surprised, like Jeff said, that we haven't utilised that bit of heart and stuff before because one of our best performances I can remember was uh, away at Barnsley when he was the best player on the pitch. This is Mark Pugh, the foodie footballer, and you're listening to Back of the Net. Yeah, and that discussion you might have already seen on YouTube as part of our playoff predictor show. And in that, we actually predict the rest of the results for the remainder of the campaign in the championship. For the top nine clubs, i.e. those that are within 10 points of the playoff. So it worked out to be nine teams. We went through their results and then we came up with a final league table after 46 games. Where did Bournemouth finish? You'll have to watch the video to find out. So we also had some opinion from Kirk Tovey's Cherries Red Army channel. Do check that out. Just go to cherriesredarmy.co.uk and make sure you subscribe to that because they had their own show at full time called Cherries Extra Time. And these were some of the opinions from that too. Well, upset about that. I think most of us probably feeling it. Just, uh, yeah. It was a team we all kind of wanted, really. Oh, but yeah, I don't know what happened between Tuesday and Saturday. Eh? That's, I think that's why we were so confident. If we hadn't played well Tuesday, I think we all would have been a bit like, well, whatever, you know, let's see what happens. But because we were so good Tuesday night, I'm pretty sure we all thought, oh, we're definitely going to bring it. FA Cup, you know, something to fight for. But obviously they, they didn't want it. So, you know, so we're not moving on. It's the hope that kills you, isn't it? You, you, you just you have that little bit of optimism as a fan. It's just crushed. It's just, yeah. I think we we got completely schooled by Southampton completely. I mean, they are they are the better team ultimately, but they've been in some horrific form recently, goal scoring especially. And they just completely outplayed us. Completely outplayed us. Made us look terrible. And we don't help ourselves when we try and play out from the back. Like we can't do what City does. Like we don't have the good. We don't have the players, and it, it's. It's every the amount of times I've seen this season where we're given the ball to a fullback and they've gone backwards and it always leads to trouble when they get into that corner. Everyone pushes up, all the opposition pushes up, 
and it always leads into trouble. But it just it just worries me because let's say we do manage to jam playoffs um, and we do go up somehow. You know, Woodgate surely can't continue. Like it just we would get destroyed in the Premier. We'd do what Sheffield United were doing if we got to the Premier League, if not worse. Like it just goes to show. It's it the, the disappointing thing that because I think I agree with Aaron. I was I was optimistic, probably not as much as other people. Because in mind, the fact that we beat Swansea wasn't really... That was an indicator of one step towards recovery. It wasn't an indicator that we're suddenly back on form because Swansea were one of the worst teams we played all season. And Southampton, as much as their form in the league is awful, it's diabolical, they still beat Arsenal and Wolves in the FA Cup to get this far. They are not mugs. So the disappointing thing isn't that we lost. The disappointing thing is the players just didn't look like they turned up. Just at all. And I think there's most of those players you'd struggle to give more than a five or a four. And some in particular, likes of Solanke and Stacey, just had some of the poorest games I've seen them have in a while. The Cameron Carter-Vickers was just a little bit less than he usually is. And, you know, he was still probably the best player we had. Steve Cook made a couple, made, obviously made the slip that you just don't expect. I mean, but the team in general, like you say, this isn't a team that's going to do well enough in the Prem if we get there. Firstly, they were clearly targeting Rico. Um, he, he's, he's, you know, he they saw him as a weak link. They were playing long balls over the top. First, the, the goal, which was offside, you know, he got caught for that. He got caught just before that. He gave the ball away for the first goal. Just a lazy pass, as he's done throughout the whole season. Just lazy pass, giving the ball away, and they break and score. Yes, Jack Stacey slip. Second goal, where, where was he? I mean, it was, it was there thrown on the right-hand side. And suddenly, when Redmond was running through against Steve Cook one-on-one, Rico was the right-hand side of Cook, um, you know, with 10 seconds to go. So, you know, I'm not all blaming it on Diego Rico, but those first two goals, he just he just went AWOL. Well, whether we'd have done that if Lloyd Kelly was there, I don't know. But uh, John's right. that There was just the worrying thing for me was not that Southampton were a better team than us, because we know they are. There was just, it was just no fight, no passion, no, no nothing. It was just, it was just a nothing performance. That's all I can say. It was a nothing performance. Actually, the only player I thought two players I thought first half Dan Juma was lively but again he was all about Arnie Dan Juma um, putting on a show for whoever was watching um, and I actually thought to be fair to him Phil Billing was tried his heart out throughout the game and, and now he got pushed back into his favorite position in, in the two for the last half an hour um, but he still gave it everything and, and, I, and I and I thought he looked like you know he was trying um, but it was just and, and and the thing and we've said it before and what we think is going to cost us promotion this season and what clearly showed today is we, you know, without a number nine, we just didn't look like scoring. We're just not causing many problems. Dom is just, you know, Dom is either isolated or he's, when he does finally win the ball and, and give give everything and, and, and shake off someone, there's no one for him to play to. I mean, it's, we just, it's criminal that we have not got a goal scorer at this football club. A, a 25 a season goal scorer. And, and, if, and, and if John's right, as well, if, we, if we manage to go up, if we manage to go up, um, we have to get a goal scoring in because you know it's just it's just crying out. We just didn't look like scoring all games. Southampton have been leaking goals to to you know they lost to Brighton in midweek. Um, they've won two out of seventeen and they strolled throughout that game and that was what was so disappointing. Brilliant stuff from Kirk and the team there. So do check out cherriesredarmy.co.uk. So there we go. That is another show in the can. Right. Next week, 
we're going to be releasing a podcast a little bit later because, of course, it's Easter holiday. So therefore, we've got a fixture on the Friday and then one on the Monday. The audio pod will be a combination of both fixtures. But if you want to have immediate reaction, then you know where to go. It's our YouTube channel at youtube.com forward slash AFCB podcast. If you want to support this channel, you can always buy us a coffee. To do that, just go to afcbpodcast.com forward slash coffee. We really, truly appreciate everyone who has got behind us so far. And we're going to be with you every step of the way as AFC Bournemouth hopefully secure a playoff place. Unfortunately, automatic promotion seems to, well, that dream's down the pan, isn't it? But can we get sixth or above that's the aim and all we want is a bit of momentum on the pitch to see if we can achieve that and who knows it is a bit of a lottery but we know the talent is there until then though see you next time and you've been listening to back of the net the afc bournemouth podcast richie maybe on walker Pew! Pew! That'll do it! That will do it! Pew for Bournemouth! The roof of the gold sands is raised! Everyone here knows what that could mean to this football club. Podcast Network.